Thank you, Jacques. Um, you guys can open up to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. We are continuing with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, started in chapter 5. It's, it's a long sermon. It started in chapter 5. It goes all the way through the end of 7, and, and we've been it for, for a while now. Today we're going to be looking at the subjects of judgment and discernment. Um, Jesus has just given a lot of practical instructions on, on how he wants people to live, and so it's not a coincidence that he starts chapter 7 off the way that he does, because oftentimes when we hear instructions on how we're supposed to live, rather than think about how that applies to us, we do that thing where we say, man, I wish, you know, when you hear a sermon and you say, I wish so-and-so would have been here today, they really needed to hear that. I don't know if you guys are good at that, but I can always pinpoint what somebody else needs to hear. Um, it's easy for us to kind of see the clear need for others and, and not always see it for ourselves. But Jesus is not going to allow us to go down that road. He's not going to allow us to get away with that. He wants to make sure that we, we uh, see our need as well. So in, in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, it says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So that's the passage. Um, it starts out with which what's, what's become a very well-known passage in our day, judge not lest you will be judged or do not judge or you too will be judged. You know, I think for many Christians, they would say John 3.16 is their favorite verse. But I think if you were to ask non-Christians what their favorite verse in the Bible is, they would probably say judge not lest you be judged. It's, it's definitely become a favorite. I would say it's probably one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Um, there's a, Paul Washer has a famous quote that says, whenever I hear somebody say, judge not lest you be judged, I, I say, don't, you know, twist not scripture lest you be like Satan is his response. Probably doesn't go along with what we're, what we're being told to do here, but, but it's kind of funny. It's weird that there can be a verse like this that can be a comfort to non-Christians and confusing to Christians. And, and, and my, I think that, you know, in the famous words of, uh, Inigo Montoya, you keep using that verse. I do not think it means what you think it means. I, th I think that's what we're going to find out as we go through this. Um, what, what do we do with this verse? I mean, again, I would just say Christians, especially the younger generation, try to avoid ever passing judgment for fear of violating this verse and, and being called intolerant or loving. This is becoming more and more common. And then non-Christians believe that this verse means that no one is ever allowed to judge them at any time for any reason. Now, of course, the ironic part is that they only seem to have a problem with, with judgment when it comes to morality and, and their sinful behavior. All, all other judgments are, are probably fine. And then even more ironically is that if you, if you judge somebody in the world, they will judge you even more harshly for judging them. So I don't know if you've noticed, but the most intolerant people in the world are the people that are, that are you know, asking for tolerance and, and everything. Kind of weird how that works. but. It's extremely convenient when somebody wants to get away with these things and then they find a Bible verse that seems to back up what they want because it will allow them to justify their bad behavior and it will also allow them to shut down any condemnation that comes their way. So no wonder people love this verse. But here's the big problem. Is this what this verse is teaching? Does this align with Jesus' other teachings? And, and does this align with what we, what we read other places in the Bible? And the answer is, of course not. 
And so it, it just it would be good for us to dig a little deeper to understand what Jesus actually means here. And, and in fact, if we just look at the verses around it, you'll quickly find out there's no way that's what this is talking about. Because in a second, he's going to talk about dogs and pigs. And he's talking about people. Well, there's a judgment, right? And then he's going to go on to say, we need to beware of false prophets because they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says the way you'll, you'll know that is you'll be able to judge them by their fruit. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Well, that takes judgment, does it not? So we can be sure that this verse does not mean the following things. Jesus is not telling us that we can never think critically. It doesn't mean that. He's not saying that we can never make moral evaluations. He's not saying that. And he's not saying that we can never tell somebody the way God wants them to live and behave. That, that's not at all what he's talking about. So what is he telling us? What is this verse about? And I would just kind of say, boil it down to this. He isn't saying that we can't make judgments. He is saying that we should not be judgmental. And, and so if you, just to kind of, you know, put these two side by side, one has to do with evaluation and the other has to do with condemnation. One has us kind of arrogantly critiquing people, you know, from this kind of a throne of self-righteous superiority. You know, I sit up here and look down at all and judge people, that, that, that kind of thing. And the other place from, comes from a place of humility and honesty and love. One has the way we live as the standard that we measure people by, and the other has the way Jesus lived as the standard we measure people by. And those very different things. Then we ask the question, why does Jesus need to address this? Why does he need to even bring it up at all? And the answer, unfortunately, is because we're all kind of judgy. Um, there's always, you know, sometimes we don't see it in ourselves as well as others, and that's why I'm always thankful for the Pharisees. They're, they're, they're the, like the poster children for what not to do sometimes. And, and so you can always, if you don't understand, you know, you'll look at the Pharisees. You'll, you'll see it in them. And not surprisingly, much of what Jesus says in this sermon was specifically targeted to them. They were experts at passing judgment on others. They found it easy to look down their noses in disgust at the sinful people around them. And, and they would even say things like, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. They, they had that kind of thing going on. The problem was that they used themselves as the standard to make those judgments by. They would compare the sinful way other people were to the awesome, righteous way they were. And, and, and so they had this kind of perceived superiority. They thought they provided the right standard for, for living and for, for behaving. But then you have to wonder, like, who was Jesus harder on? Was he harder on broken, sinful people, or was he harder on the Pharisees? And without a doubt, he was harder on the Pharisees. We see that so clearly. But the bummer is, when I'm really honest, I, I see a little Pharisee in myself. Uh, sometimes I see a lot of Pharisee in myself. I tend to have a very high view of my opinions. Um, my convictions are good convictions. My core beliefs are the right core beliefs. My way of thinking and doing things are pretty awesome, in my humble opinion. Um, I, I have a lot of rules that go along with this. My family makes fun of me because I, I tend to think that there's one right way of doing things, and guess whose way it is? It's my way, yeah. So these offenses can, can range from all kinds of different things. It, it can range from um, talking during a family movie that's a big offense to me. If, you, if we're going to get together and watch a movie, are we, are we going to get together and talk as a family, or are we going to watch a movie as a family? We're not, pick one, but don't do both. So now I have to rely on subtitles, which makes me feel old, but I want to I see what they're saying. So that's, that's one of my rules. Um, you cannot scrape food into my sink. I don't have a garbage disposal. The kids come over, and they're just screaming. That, that's, that, you'll get judgment for that. If you drive slow in the fast lane, 
I mean, they call it the fast lane for a reason, people, right? <laughs> yeah, that's an offense. That's one of my rules. If you don't signal out of a roundabout, or if I let you in, if, if in my great mercy I let you in to traffic, you know, when there's a line, and you don't give me a courtesy wave, <laughs> I, you know, I have rules, and I want people to follow these. So you get the idea, and I, I could go on and on because I don't know if I mentioned it, but I, I have a lot of rules. But I judge people for these offenses. Um, I, I, I'm using myself, though, as the gauge to measure them by. The, I'm the measuring stick about what's right and wrong. So if someone comes along that does something differently than the way I would do it, they automatically don't measure up to my standard, and, and I, I, I view them as inferior or stupid or whatever the case may be. And it's weird that this, you know, when you recognize it for what it is, it, it's kind of gross. But I feel like they deserve harsh judgment for these things, or at least, you know, a very loud sigh and a condescending eye roll. I'm, I'm good at that kind of thing. Ah, oh, you know, these people. What's wrong with you people? I want to just, in traffic, I talk, I talk to cars a lot. My wife doesn't think it's, it's, it's nice, but they don't usually hear me, but I do have a lot of conversations with people. Um, but to be clear, I want to make sure you understand that we're, we're talking about not conforming to biblical standards as much as conforming to my standards. There's a big difference. The way I think it should be, that's what we're talking about. And there are obvious, ma obviously major problems with this way of thinking. And the first of which is that your list of offenses is probably different. You know, your rules and my rules probably aren't the same. So, so one of us is probably right and, and one of us is not. So you may be one of those weirdos that thinks it's okay to drive slow in the fast lane. It's not, but you might think it is. And, and so that's your standard, that's your rule. We differ there. We all have a different idea of what's right and wrong. And we can't all be right. Although I, I think I'm a little closer to being right than you guys, but that's just, again, <laughs> just saying. But, but the, here it is, as much as I wanna believe that my way is the right way, um, there's a better than good chance I've discovered that, that you know, Brent Maxwell is not the standard by which everybody else is supposed to live by. This isn't the standard to shoot for. You know, it's you know, shocking, right? But, but yeah, you have to come to that, that realization at some point that my opinion is not as awesome as I think it is. And my standards are not as great as I think they are. And, and when you look at so much of the, the ugliness in the world today and the conflicts that exist in the world today, it comes down to this kind of stuff. We all make judgments. We have all our ideas of what are right and wrong. And if somebody else isn't like us in this, uh, we don't think they deserve to breathe anymore, it seems like. It's just gotten really ugly in the way we treat each other. But the bottom line and what Jesus wants us to understand is that none of us make good measuring sticks. We do not. Jesus had to come and die on a cross for our way of doing things. That's how awesome we are, right? He had to come and die for us because we're not as great as we think we are. He's made that clear in the previous chapters in what he's just taught. We're not as good as we think we are. We have blind spots. We don't see ourselves accurately. And in his mercy, he's been showing us these things and what we've looked at. And I can't tell you how guilty I am of these things when I think about it. I'm, when I'm honest with myself, I have to acknowledge that my judgments, you know, as much as I think they're right, they don't pan out. My rules don't, don't pan out. You know, I, the way that I think that I'm right about things, it, it gets me in trouble in some ways. Because even as a pastor, I've learned this. Somebody will walk in the door that I've never seen before, and I will immediately make a judgment about who they are and what they're like. And I've been wrong time and time and time again. You know the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover? We all think we're experts at this. Sometimes we get it right, but most of the time we don't. We're not, we're not good at this. And then there, the, the other thing I do is that um, we, we do a lot of counseling. And so when the, you know, a couple comes into counsel, you usually start with one of them and you hear their side of the story. 
And sometimes even like in a marriage thing, you're thinking, I cannot believe how horrible your spouse is. You're awesome. They're despicable. And you, you think this way because you've heard their side of the story. And shockingly, people paint themselves in a good light usually and the other person in a bad light. Imagine that. I do the same thing. But then you're thinking, how could you even be married to such a person? And then you have the other meeting and you realize, oh, you know, and as Paul Harvey would say, now the rest of the story, right? Yeah. And it's just, you learn, don't, you got to be careful in the way you make judgments. Um, how many times do we come to a conclusion about a person or a situation only to find out we were wrong and, and we just, we, we got it completely false? I, I kind of, this is kind of like what we do. Um, I don't know how many of you guys are sports fans, but there's this, this idea of armchair quarterback. I don't know if you know what that term is, but it's the idea of, uh, you know, a probably not very healthy guy sitting in his recliner at home, you know, eating chips, drinking a beer, yelling at the TV screen to the coaches and the players about what they should be doing and what they're not doing, that kind of thing. I can't tell you how many times I've done this in my life. I did it with marriage. I remember thinking as a, you know, as a new Christian, when I get married, it's going to be like this. I did it with parenting. When I get, you know, to be a dad, my kids, we're going to do it different. We're going to have these, these rules and these standards, and our kids are going to be awesome. We're not going to have any problems. I did it with pastoring. You know, I did it with churches. You do that. When we have a church, it's going to be different. It's going to be, we do this all the time. And what's happened over and over and over again is I've realized I'm not as awesome as I think I am. You know, marriage is harder than I thought it would be. Parenting, I've been humbled over and over again. I've judged people so harshly. And then, I, you know, I've had to go back and kind of eat crow, I guess is what you'd say, because of, of the way things have worked out for us. Um, I thought I was an expert at all of those things, and I thought I had the perfect judgment, and I found out I was completely wrong. So since our judgments are faulty, and they're often based on a rather lousy standard ourselves, we need to be really careful about doling them out to people. And, and yet we're not, are we? You know, I, I, I've learned that there's one opinion that really matters, and it's not mine. It's God's. I need to get over myself. That's a hard thing to say to people on Sunday morning, but get over yourself. Your opinion's not that great. It's just not. Your judgments aren't that awesome. God's is fantastic. You know, go with that. The funny thing is I know this, but it doesn't seem to slow me down much. You know, as I go through my week, I still keep doling them out. I still keep judging. And part of the reason we do this, just so you understand, is that when, when we condemn others, we're exonerating ourselves. That's why we do it. If we put other people down, we, we feel like we're, we're kind of lifting ourselves up. It's, it's, it's kind of sad that we do this, but if we can put down the way another person looks or the way they talk, the way they think, what they believe, their spiritual maturity, on and on and on it goes, we do that so that we can feel better about us as though, you know, I, it, this is what Jesus is talking about. He, it's ugly. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want us to be this way. But that does not mean that we should never make judgments of any kind. That's not the point of this thing. We're living in a time when, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are scared to death to make any kind of judgment at all, period. Because the cost is too high. You might get canceled. You might, you might lose your job. You might lose your relationships. You might lose your friends. You know, it's a high cost. I just saw this article, it was, it was about self-silencing. People right now, if it's a public poll, or, or they're going to be found out, they, they'll tell you one thing about what they believe. If it's a private poll, well, nobody will ever know. They'll tell you the truth about what they believe because they're scared to say it otherwise. That's kind, of, that's kind of what we're doing. So none of this means that we can't make judgments. We're actually supposed to. But we're supposed to make loving judgments. We're supposed to make 
helpful judgments. Sometimes telling somebody else that what they're doing is a problem is the most loving thing we can do uh, because it could drive people further from hell and closer to Jesus. And, that, and people need, we, we need this, correct? The fact of the matter is that sharing the gospel is a judgmental thing. There's judgment in that because you're telling somebody your sin has separated you from a God and it will continue to separate you from God unless you bow before him as, as your Lord, as it, you know, your Lord and Savior. That's, that's judgmental. That's not, you know, people have a hard time saying that. It's a harsh judgment, but it's true. And, and the weird thing, again, I saw a statistic recently about millennials, and I'm not picking on millennials. I think they get a lot of things right, so, so don't attack me if you're a millennial. I happen to be a, you know, never mind, I won't go. It's like our, our, our generation's way better, but, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We have problems, too. Anyway, I saw this statistic about millennials. They think that it's wrong to evangelize um, because, again, you're, you're forcing your beliefs on somebody else, and you should never do that. I mean, well, what's the Great Commission? Go make disciples. You know, that you, this is what we're Christian. You know why we're still here, guys? It's not to enjoy your best life. It's not to just, it's because people need to meet Jesus. And when we're done with everybody that needs to meet Jesus, meeting Jesus, guess where we get to go? Home. That's why we're here. And there, now we have people believing, don't, shh, don't tell anybody the gospel because, you know, the sooner we get this work done, the sooner we get to go home. So knock it off. Start telling people about Jesus, please. It's about, it's, it really comes down to the way we go about it. You know, you've all seen people preach the gospel wrong. I mean, I've seen it. That kind of street court, I know I'm not picking on people, but the street corner, megaphone, you know, turn or burn kind of thing. Probably not the best way to go about it. Um, so Jesus kind of gives us I would, what I would call the fine art of speck removal, right? He's going to tell us how to do this in a way that's probably a little better than maybe we're going to go about it. And he explains this in verses 3 through 5 when he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? So first off, he's saying, he's acknowledging, we're going to see problems in other people. We, they're going to be obvious to us. We will see these things. He's not saying we won't. But why do you see that speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? And this is a pretty hilarious picture. I think it's, it's you know, fantastic if you picture a, a giant wooden beam stuck in somebody's eye. Just I'm walking around with, with a yeah, two-by-four coming out of my face, and I'm walking up to you and going, Hey, I noticed you have a little speck in your eye. You want me to help you with that? You know, as you're, you know, hitting them in the head as you're. No, maybe you should, maybe you should address that first before you you come over here. And that's Jesus's point. But he does not say to ignore what's going on in somebody else's life. He's not telling us that, which again means that we have to make a judgment. He just wants us to focus on our stuff first before we start to help others. But but it's important that we help others. I don't know if you've ever had a splinter in your eye or in your finger that you try to get out yourself. It's a lot easier if somebody else helps you with it normally. And so Galatians 6, 1 says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So again, this is something we lovingly do for each other. We're supposed to help each other out because we're all capable of falling into the same kinds of things. I don't know if you know that, but you remember that, that old saying, there but for the grace of God go I? That means that we could all end up in the same ditch. We could all end up in the same things. The stuff we're judging people for, apart from God's grace, we could, we could do the exact same thing. So we're going to look at six quick takeaways to kind of help us with speck removal and doing it in a way that honors God. Now we've already, uh, the first one is this, judge with right judgment. So we've already looked at what it looks like to judge with wrong judgment or judge wrongly. 
In John 7, 24, Jesus said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he's telling us there's, there's a way to do this that's right. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to judge rightly? And I would say that it involves two important things, the right posture and the right standard. Okay? The right posture has to do with how we approach people. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that we are to speak the truth, but love must accompany that truth that we speak. That's where we, we I don't, most of us don't have a problem speaking the truth. Some of us really like it. It's the love part that we kind of mess up. You know, it's both of them together. When somebody knows that you really care about them, and, and that's, why, that's why you're coming to them, it changes everything. Um, they're more willing to receive what you're saying if you come in love. Now, that's the right posture. The right standard has to do with Jesus. Because I've already mentioned, we're not a reliable standard. I'm not going to stand next to you and say, be like me, and, and you won't, you know, and then there'll be no reason to judge you. That's ridiculous. But I can have you stand next to Jesus and say, be like him. So Jesus is that reliable standard. God's word is the reliable standard that we're supposed to use. This is the measuring stick, not us. And, and the cool thing about it is that when we make this the measuring stick instead of us, then the standard isn't up to us. It's up to, it's up to God. That takes the pressure off of, off of us completely at that point, does it not? Because we're not the judge. God's the judge. So if God calls something wrong, what do we call it? wrong. If God calls something right, what do we call it? We agree with him and say, that's right. That's, he's the one making the rules up, not us. His rules are awesome. Mine aren't. So it's okay for us to agree with God. That doesn't make us judgmental. Do you see, do you see how that works? We're simply submitting ourselves to God's standard, and God happens to be the one that all of us stand before someday as the judge. So we submit to what, what he says. We, shouldn't have to, we don't have to apologize for that, ever. I love that. This is God's standard. I just, exp I just tell you what it is. I don't have to get God off the hook. He's the judge. He's the one that comes up with the standards. That's okay. So it's good, and it's right, and it's loving for us to let people know that there is a holy God who has a holy standard, and one day we'll stand before him and give an account. That's, it's good for us to tell people that. If we observe that somebody's falling short of that standard, we should let them know. If you were like at a, at a job or you know, say at school, and you saw somebody doing something that you knew would get them fired or kicked out of school, would you would you say something to them? Hey, lovingly to say, hey, by the way, if you keep doing that, you're, they're going to fire you. That's a fireable offense. That would be pretty loving, you would think. Can you imagine if they got the boot and then came to you and you, they found out you knew and you didn't say anything? They would want you to say something. So knowing what God desires and sharing that with people. It's not always going to go well. We're going to get into that here in a minute. But it could be that thing that nudges them towards holiness, that nudges them towards their need for a Savior. Um, sometimes just, just knowing that God feels a certain way about something, especially right now in our world when people are coming up with crazy ideas about what's right and wrong, and just say, you know what? God thinks this is right. That might sway them. That might be all they need to hear. Just remember there's a big difference between evaluation and condemnation. We're called to be evaluators. We're not called to be condemners. And you're, you know, your, your opinions aren't the right and wrong ones. God's are. So that's, that's the first one. Judge with right judgment. The second one is this. Don't judge hypocritically. And this one should be pretty obvious. If we pass judgment on somebody for what they're doing and we're doing similar things, um, what are they going to think of us? So Romans 2.1 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the, um, 
the judge practice the very same thing. So this is that idea of do as I say, not as I do. I used to say it with my kids, and then I realized at some point that's not going to work very well. It's, uh, uh, you know, I'm a hypocrite. And, and again, that's why we have the speck and the log thing that Jesus has talked about here. Christians have a, a pretty terrible reputation of nitpicking and finding fault with everyone and everything around them. We've earned kind of the reputation of being judgmental. On our last podcast, we just talked about Christian boycotts. Um, sometimes we can just come across as very judgmental and harsh. And we've all kind of known those people. Have you ever known those people that are kind of, uh, I would call them self-appointed hall monitors? They just run around the world just checking to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do all the time. They're really annoying. They're not so much concerned about themselves, but they're really concerned about what we're all doing. Um, that, that's, not, that's not always very helpful. I know that I'm, I'm quick to condemn sin in, in others more than I am in my, I'll give myself a pass, but you know, if somebody sins differently than I do, I'll be harsh on that, but I, not so much on me. This is what Jesus is talking about. You know, I'll, you could sit there and go, can you believe how much they drink? Man, they drink so much. And you're like having your third helping to cake, that kind of stuff. Which one's worse? I don't know, gluttony, drunkenness, they're, they're both bad, but we'll say, well, this isn't as bad. That's really bad. This is the kind of stuff we're, we're not supposed to do. I remember one time we had these friends, I still don't understand it to this day, and I can't remember which movie it was, but they, we both had kids that were young at that same time, and we let our kids watch, I think we let them watch Lord of the Rings or Pirates of the Caribbean, it was one of those two. And they were like, well, this one's okay, but that one, I cannot believe you would let your kids watch it. And for the life of me, I'm thinking, what, is it eye patches? Is it peg legs? What's the difference exactly? I still can't figure it out. But they were adamant that we were horrible parents because we, you know, one of those was okay and one wasn't. I don't know how this stuff works, but, but it's arbitrary, that's for sure. The point is that it's much more fun to examine everyone else than it is to examine ourselves. And, and Jesus wants us to be self-examiners. So that's the question. Are you self-aware or are you others aware? Which one describes you more? Are you more concerned with the problems you see in yourself or the stuff you see in other people? Jesus wants to, us to focus on us primarily. And that's, you know, this is again, don't ignore the beam of wood sticking out of your own face. Deal with that. That's it. It's, I love the story of King David's a perfect example of this where he did this horrible thing and he didn't recognize it. You know, he slept with another man's wife, had the man killed, didn't even realize he'd done something wrong. Nathan comes with a story about, you know, a man with some sheep, and, and, and David's like, well, that man deserves to die. And then all of a sudden, Nathan says, hey, you're that guy. You're that man. Oh, you know, that's, we, need to, we need to realize that more often than we do. I am that man. So don't be a hypocrite. Don't judge hypocritically. The next one is to understand your own shortcomings. I don't, I don't think we always get this, but Romans 14.10 says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Oh, you who despise your brother, for you will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We're all going to stand before a judge. We need to see the stuff that we do more clearly than the stuff around us. So um, we, we have a marriage video that we put out. It's, it's a kind of good one, but nobody likes it because it, the first thing it says is the biggest problem in your marriage is you. <laughs> and nobody wants to hear that. They're just like, no, no, you don't understand. It's that, it's that woman God gave me. Or they want to do that, and it's like, no, the biggest problem in your marriage is you. Nobody likes that video much, but it's really good. Uh, don't indict others until you've really checked yourself out. I love that Jesus illustrates this very, very perfectly in the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And I think you guys are probably familiar with this story, but you, you've got a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. They say that. It's kind of funny. It's like, how did you set this up exactly? But they caught her in the act of adultery, and they only bring her. 
And I'm pretty sure the way adultery works is that there was a guy involved in this too, but he doesn't show up at the, at the meeting, the woman does. And they gather around to try to trip Jesus up you know, and say that the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, what do you say? And they said it to test him, tells us that. Jesus starts to write something on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. We, people speculate. I have no idea. But then um, as they continue to, to pester him and ask him, he says this, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at him. And they all just kind of stood there. And I, I don't know, I would just be thinking about, you know, and it also says the oldest went away first and then the youngest. I don't know if it's because the older people probably had more stuff in their, in their catalog of evil things they've done, but they all walked away because none of them were without sin. And that, and that was the point he was making. And I love that it says that uh, Jesus stood up to her after they'd all left and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. It's such a beautiful thing that he's done for this woman. She was guilty. She deserved condemnation. And yet Jesus was willing to, to say, I won't con condemn you either. But he also still says, don't sin anymore. Don't, don't continue with that. So the point is this. Don't ju judge others unless you're prepared to be judged by the same standard. Um, and, and I think, think about that. Do you really want to be judged by the stand your, this standard? You, you as a measuring stick? I don't. I know, I know what happens. If I get judged by my life, I go to hell. I'll just say it straight up. That's what happens to me if I judge myself by me. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge others by this standard? That doesn't work. So if you don't want that for yourself, don't impose it on others. The next thing I would say about this is focus on the opposite. Instead of being just this person that wants to run around and judge everybody and condemn everybody, maybe, maybe try working the opposite angle of this for a minute. Maybe don't be about Christians so often are about what they hate and what they don't like. And maybe focus on what we do like and what we love and the good things that are going on in the world. Um, instead of looking for the negative, seek to build up, seek to encourage. Would the people who know you best say that you're filled with vinegar or honey? Which one are you? Are you, are you the kind of person when somebody starts walking towards them, it's almost like the smell of perfume and a, a beautiful fragrance? Or are people plugging their nose and looking for an escape route? I, I, you, know, you, know, you, know what these, you know what I'm talking about. Look for the good in people who are precious to God, who are made in his image. You know, praise God that somebody did that for us. When you hear somebody being critical of somebody else, putting them down like we do, we do that thing where we talk about how bad they are to build ourselves up. Maybe change the subject and talk about how great, something that you really like about that person. Maybe kind of do that instead. It, it's a subtle way of changing the, you know, hey, being an example. You know what? I really enjoy their sense of humor. I, I, I really like it when they come around. They, they, you know, they're a blessing to me. You say that, and it'll, it'll stop that other talk quickly, and maybe it'll be an example to, for them to change. There's this R.C. Sproul quote that I heard years ago, and I, I love it. It stuck with me. If you're going to put someone down, make sure it's on your prayer list. You know, If they're bugging you and you, and you and you have a problem with them, pray for them. Focus on that more than, than tearing them apart, because we're really good at tearing them apart. We're not as good as praying for people. So... The next one is just obvious because we should always do this one. Be like Jesus. <laughs> if, you're, if you're wondering how we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to go about this judgment and speck removal, be like Jesus. We all deserve judgment for the things we've said and done. We all want mercy and not judgment. And as people who have received mercy from a God who didn't need to give it to us, we should be very quick to offer the same thing to the people around us. Amen? 
bottom line is we should treat others the way we want God to treat us. And, and if we did that, you know, he's going to go into that in, in the next section, the golden rule. The world would look a whole lot different and the church would look a whole lot different. Jesus had every right to judge us. He, he could have found fault with us. He could have condemned us. And yet he was willing to overlook that because he loved us and was willing to just go to the cross on our behalf to die for us. He loves us enough still, even after, you know, he's still interested in, in the, you know, the specs in our eyes too. He's still interested in perfecting us and, and bearing with us and changing us. And I'm grateful for it. I appreciated Rick's testimony today because it's true, you know. When you just think about how good he is to us, you know, compared to what we deserve, it's, it's pretty overwhelming, and it causes you to worship him every day. The last one is just to be discerning. And if you look in verse 6 there, he says, Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This verse almost seems like it's out of place in the section we're, we're in right now. But, but he wants us to understand that if we make judgments, when we make judgments, even if we do them with the best intentions and, and, and with the best posture and with the best standard and all the things we've talked about, we still might meet resistance. We still might have somebody that doesn't like what we're doing. It's not always going to go well for us when we do this. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you're taking something precious to you. God's you know, love, his standard, his, his holiness, whatever this is, these are like pearls to us. And, and some people are going to treat them like a dog would treat a pearl or a pig would treat a pearl. They're not going to appreciate it. They're going to trample it. Uh, or they might even come after you, which is even worse. Some people appreciate pearls. Some people don't. So we need discernment. A wise man once said, you, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away and you got to know when to run. I like the running part. If they start to trample you or, or attack you, that's when it's time to go. But you know what I mean? Sometimes we, we think that when it comes to evangelism, this was also brought up this morning, that we have to just knock the door down, you know, just beat our head against the wall until it becomes a door. We don't have to do that. Um, we should be the kind of people that check doors all the time to see if, you know, that door's open a little bit. Give it a shove, see if it opens. See what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. Sometimes he's at work doing something that we can participate in. Sometimes he's not doing anything with that particular thing at the time. I remember I used to fix copiers for a living, and I used to go into old folks' homes, which were always kind of just sad. But there was this one old dude that he, he was in a wheelchair. He had Converse shoes on, which was just, that, that in of itself was pretty awesome. I just the old guy in the Converse shoes. But he sat in his wheelchair, he just, all he did is he wheeled around to every door in the joint and checked them. He was just, he was trying to get out, which is kind of sad. But I thought, we need to be door checkers, you know, just, just wheel around, you know. If the door, if it opens, you, you know, start telling about the Lord, see what happens. If, if, it, if it doesn't move or budge, move on to the next door, right? Dust your feet off and move on to the next town. All of this kind of begs the question though, why, why do people hate judgment so much why 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 is, is condemnation you know so so loathsome to people and, and it really comes down to the fact that people want to do what they want to do and they don't want anybody to tell them to stop it sometimes no matter what you say or do you're going to meet resistance sometimes they don't they can't bear disapproval you know and, and so they don't want to hear that as well but the, the cool thing about the gospel is it, it, it can fix both of those things somebody and that's what we have. That, that's, those are the weapons that we've been given to work with. So we are the light of the world. Sometimes the light will break through. Sometimes it won't. But we keep shining that light because every once in a while there's going to be a ship out there in distress. And they're going to be looking for that light. And maybe, just maybe, we get to be that lighthouse for them. That they get to come to and find haven and hope in Christ. And when that, when that, when that happens, it's an amazing thing.
So keep the light on. You know, we'll leave the light on for you. That's, 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 that should be our motto as Christians. Um, so just here's the quick sum up. Jesus does not want his followers to be judgmental, self-righteous people with critical spirits who condemn everyone around them, acting like we've got it all together and everybody else should be like us. That doesn't work. He wants us to be humble and loving people who are concerned about the people around us, knowing that one day all of us will stand before God as judge. And he, he also wants us to be honest about the fact that apart from his grace and his kindness and his mercy, we will be in the exact same situation they're in. Never forget that. We're broken people whom God has had mercy on. Thank you, Lord, for that. We're no better than anyone else. The best thing about us is Jesus. That's it. You take Jesus away, there's not much to look at. You enter Jesus into the equation, it's amazing, isn't it? So think about this. Do you love the people around you? Even if they disagree with you, even if they don't follow your rules, even if they don't agree with your judgments, do you love them? Are you concerned about where they're going to end up? The time is short. The world is crazy, right? And we have the answer. So you know your marching orders. You know, we, we just got to go out and share it with people and hope, hope that it's received. So uh, thank you guys so much for, for listening. I'm going to pray, and then I think we're going to sing, and then we're going to eat. So this is just it's, it's getting good. Thank you, Father, so much for, uh, for our Lord and Savior. Thank you for the way that you have loved us. Uh, when, when we know we're not very lovable and at times just flat out unlovable, and yet you have, um, you have decided to set your love upon us through your Son. We are grateful for that. We, we pray that, Lord, we would be good evaluators of what's around us, uh, that we would come with the right attitudes to try to help people, really to push them towards you as the answer, because you are the only answer that there is. We thank you that you've illuminated us with that answer, and we pray that we would have the same opportunity to, to do that for those around us who don't know yet. And we ask it in Jesus' name.